Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the newest podcast of Best Movie, Worst Movie. The podcast where we take different categories of films and then break down what we think are, well, the best movies out of that category and, of course, the worst movies out of that category. I'm, of course, being joined over here by Mr. Cody Miller. Cody, how you doing? John, thank you so much for having me again. I love doing this podcast. It's a blast. It's like the highlight of my day every time we do it. I love it. So thank you. And, of course, sitting over here. Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Well, I'm going to second Cody's. Uh, uh, that is very nice. Thank you for saying that. I too, <laughs> I too feel very privileged to do this podcast. It's just so much damn fun. Yes. And I like the fact that the three of us have diverse opinions, except sometimes when we don't. <laughs> last I mean, time. yeah, I, like the last show, what was the episode? The episode was best 90s, best and worst of the 90s romantic comedies. And it turns out we all had the same worst, which was completely unplanned. That we was, didn't know that was going to happen, but it was perfect. It was perfect. It was great. Will that happen here again today? We don't know. Uh, we honestly don't. So listen, guys, today is a special category. You know, the comic book and superhero genre are the undisputed kind of kings of the movie world, particularly at the box office right now. You know, with films like Black Panther and Captain Marvel exceeding billions of dollars, with Avengers films exceeding $2 billion in and out, like even a movie like Venom came out and exceeded $800 million. Aquaman also joined the Billion Dollar Club. I mean, it is crazy what kind of numbers these movies are generating. Now, we are living in a really true golden age of comic book movies that I contend was really started off by X-Men. The first X-Men film kind of heralded off a new era of comic book movies that we've been living. Now we're in the era of the MCU and, and things like that. But as hard as it is m to believe for some people, there were superhero movies before X-Men. There were superhero movies before 2000. So today's category for best movie, worst movie is the best and worst superhero movies pre-2000. Now, we're going back into what we can call or what some in the uh, in the Star Wars universe might call the dark times. We're going into the dark times of comic book movies when there wasn't often a lot of good. First of all, there wasn't a lot of stuff coming out in theaters at all that, that to cater to people who want to see some superhero stuff. And there certainly wasn't a lot of good stuff, but there are some treasures in there and there are some really bad things. So that's what we're going to go off on today. So listen, Cody, today we're going to start with you on best and worst of the superhero movies pre-2000. But before we get into that, again, it wasn't just the Dark Ages, because Rob, you and I will talk about this all the time, that it is amazing <clears throat> that we live in an era where we get to see Captain America and Iron Man and Hulk and Thor and Black Widow and Wasp and Ant-Man and Vision and Doctor Strange and Nebula and uh, Valkyrie and on and on and Groot on and, and Rocket, on. a talking, Groot walking and tree. Rocket. And it all because we were growing up in this pre-2000 era when it wasn't what we like remind people of what it's like not that long ago. If you're a comic book movie fan, 
You didn't have anything to get excited about. No. And, and you know, it's funny. A lot of the things that we did get excited about, I think the prevailing attitude amongst the studios was that comic books as a source medium to adapt were for kids. That was sort of in America. That's what that's what comic books have always been thought of up until fairly recently, that they're not worth doing. They're not as serious as say, if you're going to adapt a, a Tom Clancy novel, they make The Hunt for Red October and they get all the bells and whistles and they get the best actors in Hollywood, and the best production people and the best effects people and the biggest budgets. But nobody was going to do that for a superhero movie because those movies were for kids. After all, didn't Disney make Condor Man? Uh. <laughs> I'm not going to be surprised that that gets mentioned again a little bit later, but like, even like Cody, when somebody says to you, uh, you know, uh, best superhero movie pre 2000, are, are there even any that it instantly will jump to your head? Cause I know there's none that instantly jump into mind. Like it's something I had to think about. Well, the ones that instantly come to my mind are like the Batman movies. I mean, the first two Tim Burton, Batman films, those jump to my mind. And then obviously the classic Superman films, but there's not the plethora that we have now. Like we live yeah. in the greatest time to be alive ever. <laughs> like I had a two hour car ride yesterday and there was a moment where I was like, God, this sucks. But then I took a step back and I was like, I'm sitting here watching game of Thrones in a car. Like, what do I have to complain about? <laughs> Nothing to complain about. We have all these amazing movies. Like it's, it's just a wonderful time. And yeah, but, but yeah, pre 2000, there weren't that many there there. It's, it's slim pickings. It is there. Don't get me wrong. There's some good ones, but just nothing compared to today. Okay. So when people want to complain about any of the combo movies get today, I just want to say, shut up because you <laughs> don't know what it was like before. Cause it was, it was it was terrible. We didn't even realize how terrible it was until we, until we started getting all the good stuff once, uh, you know, the first X-Men came along. So, okay, so let's go into it now. Superhero movies pre-2000, before Shared Cinematic Universe, before Kevin Heige, be Kevin Heige, Kevin Feige became a household name with everybody. Before anybody had heard the, you know, the letters DCEU, we had superhero movies before then. So, Cody, kick us off here. What's the best superhero movie pre-2000? I am so excited to talk about this right now. Ah. And because of our last episode, I made sure to pick a film that you guys were not going to pick. Because like I said, okay, uh, the first ones that come to my mind are the is the first Tim Burton Batman film. That movie's incredible. One, one of the greats. You know, you've got the, the original Superman films. Those are also amazing. And there's a few others. But the one I'm going to pick is actually more of a family kids type of film. Ooh. Yeah, I know, I know. And um, I, I picked this movie because number one, I mean, I have a lot of nostalgia. I grew up watching this film. I was young and I didn't pick up on some of the things in it that are, that are not so great. But now as I rewatch it as an adult, I pick up on things that I didn't even realize were in there. And you guys might be surprised to hear me say this, but the movie I'm picking for the best is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> wow. Yes. Really? I love this movie so much. Wait, just to make sure I didn't mishear you, what was the, what's your pick again? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Wow. God, I, can I love this movie. I've never heard anybody mention that film. It's so oh, I love good. you for doing so I, I do so, too. It's, I mean, okay, like I said, it is definitely catered more towards a, a child, 
you know, a younger audience. So you take that in, into consideration, but there's still more heart to this film than I even realized. I mean, so the whole secret of the ooze within this, this crazy wacky New York city with these teenage mutant Ninja turtles is all about these turtles finding out like what their purpose is and how they became to be like, what was their origin? Right. Why and am that, I here? Exactly. Why am I here? And that was really the ooze. And beforehand, like they didn't know. And there's a scene in this movie where, where Splinter basically says like, yes, you were an accident. And the, and the, and Donatello is like, no, dude, I can't, I can't take that. But it's like, but it's, it's actually some pretty deep subject material when you think about it, that these teenage <laughs> turtles are trying to deal with like, who are they? And what is their, what is their purpose if they're just an accident? And there's a beautiful line where Splinter says, don't let your past, basically he says, don't let your past define you. It doesn't have anything to do with who you are today. And there's a lot of little things just sprinkled in this film that I was like, man, I didn't even pick up with that as a kid, but I watched it as an adult now. I'm like, man, and I'll tell you what, I miss the old, um, realistic, you know, I don't like all the CGI, like, don't get me wrong. I like the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Okay. But I love the, the realistic prosthetics. I love right. the suits and, and Splinter, you know, the giant human sized rat actually looks really good. Like he actually looks very, very good for a mid nineties film. And, um, I mean the action silly and who, who could not forget the vanilla ice rap, the go ninja, go ninja, well, go, yes, go, I, ninja, I go ninja, go ninja, <laughs> go. Like, I mean, come on. Like you gotta love that. There's a, there's a dance scene. You get, you get giant shredder at the end. It's just a ball of fun and it's silly. And there's, they're throwing pizza and catching it in their mouth. And there's a lot of, a, a lot of silly, silly lines. And yeah, this, I mean, it's not the greatest comic book film of all time, but pre two thousands, it's slim pickings. And for a movie that was catered towards kids, I feel like this is a film that families could actually watch. Like I could watch with my, my nephew and my niece today. And right. I'd be like, I would enjoy this. You know, I would enjoy this. And, and that's why it's my pick for the best pre two thousands superhero film. Cause those are some badass superheroes. Uh, now go ninja, go ninja goes going to be head. <laughs> I was my head all freaking day. Now it's an earworm. Oh my gosh. Fun fact. I forgot to tell you this. So when this movie came out and it was released in Europe, they actually had to edit out a few of the scene, a few of the, the cuts in the opening action sequence, because be, in order to keep the PG rating, they could not use weapons. So there was no, there was no, no swords, no nothing. And there's a scene at the beginning of this movie where Raphael, I, I think it's Raphael is using using basically sausages, long sausages as nunchucks. And he's swinging them around, like basically beating up bad guys with pork sausages. And they had to cut that out of the film in Europe. Fun fact. I just, I was like, how real, like what kind of world do we live in? This is crazy. <laughs> that is, you know, it's funny because I was never, I was never a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles post the, what was it? Eastman who did the original black and whites. Yeah. The original black and white comics are so different then like, a lot of people don't understand like the origins of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are so radically different than what they are represented as today. At the time, they were almost like a caricature in a way, but uh, they were dark and they were violent. Extremely graphic. Very graphic, very violent. And these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fighting these ninjas, the foot. I mean, it was done in a brutal, brutal way. They were not the skateboard riding, pizza loving, cowabunga dude. Uh, proclaiming things, characters that they are now. But understanding that, when the first one by Platinum Dunes came out, the one that Michael Bay actually produced, I thought this was going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. I actually liked that one. You had Tony Shalhoub as as the voice mm -hmm. of Master Splinter and all this kind of stuff. And, I, and the second one, oh my God, the, the, <laughs> the one with um, Stephen Amell from Arrow as uh, Casey. 
It was rough. Oh my, it was rough. It was not a worthy follow-up, but I would never have guessed. Never have guessed anybody in this room would have brought up that one. Particularly, I thought if you had said to me, one of us is going to bring up one of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I would have thought you would have said that maybe the first one. But the secret of the ooze. That's the best. Of the ooze. <laughs> that is the best. All right. Let's move on from there. Robert, what's your pick for best superhero movie pre-2000? Well, you know, of course, like like Cody mentioned, you, you've got your Batmans and your Supermans. And I dare say that Superman the movie was the first thing that I went to. You know, it was the first thing I'm like. It's you'll so believe I, a man could fly. You'll believe a man could fly. It was really the first. It, it blew my mind when I saw it. But it sort of transcended the idea. Uh, it sort of the whole point was to transcend the genre to make a, an American myth, really. And I think they did a, an amazing job. So it's it's a cut above. But I was thinking when you brought this topic up, I'm thinking superhero movies of the pre two thousands, comic book adaptations, movies that I I loved. I'm and and what what best captured the essence of the 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 comic book uh, origins that it has. Right. I'm going to go with 1994's film, Alex Proyas's The Crow. Oh, okay. Oh, right. I'm going with The Crow because one, I've often said that The Crow is the Blade Runner of superhero movies. Oh, it's, that's so great. It's, it's incredibly well designed. You know, it takes place in sort of, it's very stylized, but it's not, it's not like the Ang Lee's Hulk where, oh, here's comic book panels for you. And so right, yeah. It, it really does look like Blade Runner. I mean, it, it of course, it was the movie that, that Brandon Lee died while he was making. making. Yeah, tragic. And, and to me, to me, it's it's kind of like the the way Stairway to Heaven is this iconic rock song for 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 rock and roll. The crow to me is like the goth. It's like the goth anthem. You know, it, it has an incredible soundtrack beginning with the cures burn the music. The source cues are incredible. Uh, Graham Ravel's score is amazing, but in terms of uh, being evocative of the mood and the melancholy nature of the whole, I mean, it's, first of all, it's a, it's a brutal film. It's a violent, violent film. It's not a nice film in particular, but, uh, the the Eric Draven character, of course, him and his girlfriend are killed in a horrible attack on on Devil's Night the night before Halloween, and the character comes back from the grave as the crow, as the titular crow, to avenge the death of his girlfriend. And of course, Michael Wincott plays <laughs> the villain. I love me some Michael Wincott. Anything Michael Wincott is in, I will watch it. I love him as the villain. Uh, he is so scary in this movie. Uh, he's just terrifying. And his, his what would be called a gun mole in a movie, his his crazy sorceress girlfriend that burns eyeballs. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, it, this takes place in a Detroit and a Detroit, you know, on how on Devil, the eve of Devil's Night, and it goes into Devil's Night and Halloween. I mean, this is an America that's a destroyed America. It feels like it's post-apocalyptic, but there really is no apocalypse that's happened. It's just the way the city has degenerated into this just, but yet there's still hope. You know, there's a young girl and her mother is like working and turning tricks and she's a heroin addict. And there's this great moment. Uh, one of my favorite. Not a lot of stuff you'll get in an MCU movie today. <laughs> yeah, no. But there's a great moment where Eric Draven goes and draws out the drugs from her bloodstream and says, mother is the name of God on the lips of all children, which is one of my favorite lines in any, <laughs> any movie ever. And, wow. and, and the, the songs like it can't rain all the time. And, and it's just this. It's just this 
unbelievable epic of melancholia. And, and if you love goth music and I love goth music, I grew up loving goth music. This movie really is. It's all goth music writ large on the big screen turned into one movie and, and the character of Eric Draven is such this great tragic romantic hero and Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters yeah. plays the cop, oh I totally the forgot he was in that with a heart of gold in it yeah and it's just and it's beautiful and the stylized visual effects and the model work and uh, it, it just to me is is and by the way the comic is even harder hardcore and, and even a yeah. little darker and mean more mean spirited because it it really it's based Jo Barr the guy who who did the comic uh, it was a cry out it was based on something that actually happened to him and it was a reflection of 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 what was going on in his soul and Alex Preuss did a wonderful job he he later went on to make of course Dark City and Gods of Egypt that's much maligned <laughs> oh, that I yeah. will defend but um, it. It's just a movie that I really dearly love. And it really, because I was really, you know, the 90s, the 80s and 90s were the heyday of me collecting comics. And it was one of the first comic book adaptations that I was excited about. I'm like, wow, they're going to make The Crow? All the movies they could make? Wow. And they did it. And I I loved it so much. And uh, it still really holds up. It's a beautifully stylized movie. And it really captures a mood and sets a tone and and really, really, uh, it, it, it just, it does, it stays with you. Let's not forget that that property is cursed oh my in God, Hollywood yeah. today. There's supposed, I mean, supposedly there's been like at least two dozen different iterations of the crow are, which went into pre-production, which went into might happen. And then none of them have followed through Tom Hiddleston, Luke Evans, Jason Momoa. Yeah, that was uh, the most recent one, I think. Yeah, Momoa was, they were literally two weeks away from shooting. Right. Uh, uh, Jason Durst. Momoa, and then two weeks before the shooting will start, the director walked, Jason Momoa walked. I mean, they, it's just, it's crazy how hard it's been for them to get this thing off the ground. Yeah, I mean, this has had multiple sequels. I mean, the second movie, I hate to say this, but it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I oh. hated it so much. Crow City of Angels, there was a TV show. I wanted to mention, too, that behind the camera, Darius Wolski, who shot the movie, and Dove Honing, who edited the film. I mean, Dove Honing is one of my favorite editors, but Darius Wolski's photography, I mean, it really does look like uh, um, uh, Jordan Cronenworth's photography for Blade Runner. Darius Wolski's photography is not as good, but it is still incredibly evocative, and the rain-soaked streets of Detroit really is. It is just, I love this. And David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors is in it. Oh, I love it. Well, that's a popular one too. And it had, it had a huge social impact as well. Like even when you get into the, first of all, there were musicians that started to try to dress like the crow, even in professional wrestling, oh, yeah. yep. you know, sting who used to be known as this big colorful mm-hmm. dude. He went for like 20 years with this total crow motif, right? He wrote the same jacket, he, you know, the whole bit. So it had massive, massive cultural influence as well. So, okay. So we've got teenage mutant Ninja turtles Two: the secret of the use. We've got The Crow, two very, very different films. I'm going to go with one that kind of comes in just under the wire. It comes in right in at 1999. Uh, And it is a film that one you could arguably say was so far ahead of its time. Oh, my God. And might even have been more successful today if it was released today. You don't get to see that. You don't get to say that about a lot of movies. But it was both a superhero movie, an observation of the superhero motif and a parody of the superhero motif all at once. I'm talking about 1999's mystery men. 
Wow. I uh. love this movie. I, this is a movie, whether you're talking about Hank Azaria as the Blue Raja, you got uh, Ben Stiller as Mr. Furious, William H. Macy as the Shoveler, uh, Jeannie Garofalo <laughs> as the Bowler, who literally has a, a see-through crystal bowling ball with her father's skull in the center of it. How did her father die? Under very suspicious circumstances. He fell down an elevator shaft onto some bullets. And yes, that seems very suspicious. That's, I mean, this movie was, and by the way, maybe today, hey, Thanos is nice. Um, Heath Ledger's Joker is nice. But Jeffrey Rush's Casanova Frankenstein <laughs> might be there. And of course, his big rivalry with the greatest superhero in the world, uh, who was Captain Amazing, played by Greg Kinnear, who will always know, it doesn't matter if he wins tons of Oscars, whatever, Greg Kinnear will always just be Captain Amazing to me. And the big conversation, I warn of each other's greatest nemesises. Greatest nemeses? Nemesis? What's the plural of nemesis? It's one of the great conversations, but William, and also like William H. Macy's. And what's your superpower? I shovel. I shovel well. I mean, I mean, and the, the dynamic of like Hank Azaria and Ben Stiller and William H. Macy is the heart of this movie that carries so much humor. Like even right from the beginning, the movie starts with them trying to stop these this gang of supervillains called the Red Eyes. There's a bunch. So really, it's just a bunch of henchmen that call their own gang. And they're trying to rob this senior citizen's home. And by the way, a senior citizen's home where Tom Waits is trying to pick up women at the senior citizen home. And they, after they try to break it up and they fail and Captain Amazing comes in and saves the day, Azaria, uh, Stiller and Macy are off at a diner and just, just talking about the whole motifs. Like, and these are conversations me and my friends have had, except, you know, we weren't out actually trying to fight super. Hey, Hank Azaria as the blue Raja, first of all, the master of cutlery. And basically, that's it, folks. He throws spoons and he sometimes he'll throw a fork. But I, this one conversation that they're having sitting at the dining table in this diner. But so I was like, have you ever thought about because he throws spoons at guys and they just kind of bounce off him. They're like, have you ever considered like a knife or something like that? He's like, no, because I'm the Blue Raja, not Stabby Man. And just, <laughs> like Hank Azaria just owns this thing. And of course, Hank Azaria. And then, of course, you got this great plethora of other like off plays of various superhero villains. These other supervillains, including a couple of my favorites, the Disco Boys with Eddie Izzard as one of the Disco Boys. Disco is yeah, forever. Disco is life. And it's all it's all about disco to them. And they, all these various gangs. This movie is so funny. And it was it, the hilarious thing is. It's a spoof and a satire on a genre that had not yet come into its own, you know? Right. And that's why I say this was a movie before its time. You could have released a Mystery Men today, and I think it would have kicked all sorts of ass, and I think it would have been received huge. As it was, this was not a film that was received very well. It wasn't a film that did very well. Uh, it had one of the girls I had a such a massive crush on in the early 2000s, uh, uh, Claire... Forlani. Uh, for Claire Forlani, thank you. Good call. Who, oh, my God, that girl is beautiful. <laughs> and I just remember a younger version of John Camp who was like, I would sacrifice a couple of fingers to go on a date with her. <laughs> um, but seriously, and Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman as the spleen. Unreal. Like, invisible boy who could only turn invisible if nobody was watching. Th think about that. <laughs> he could only turn invisible if nobody's watching. I, oh, 
God, I cannot get enough of this movie. I love this movie. And so my pick, now don't get me wrong. I love, uh, you know, uh, Nolan's, not Nolan's, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, the original Christopher Reeves, all that stuff. But if you had to sit down with me some weekend and say, hey, we got these all these movies we can sit down and watch right now while we order some pizza. And it's the pre-2000 superhero movies. I'm picking Mystery Men first time every time. Well, you know, I love that movie. It's funny. There, there is sort of a commonality between what all three of us have picked. The Mystery Men was a spinoff from Bob Burden's comics, Flaming Carrot. Right. Yes. And and that was published by Dark Horse later. And Mike Richardson's a producer on Mystery Men. You picked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which began as an independent comic that was response in the 80s to comics like Frank Miller's Ronin. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I picked The Crow which is a J.O. Barr indie comic book. So what's really interesting is all three of our picks have these indie comic book origins because they hadn't yet, I guess it was because the bigger characters were too iconic and nobody wanted to take a shot with them. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. indie comics became much more viable as a source material back in the, back in the the eighties, I mean, nineties and eighties and nineties, which I find really interesting that they hadn't yet figured out that, Oh, X-Men and the MCU and the DC characters could end up becoming these box office worldwide international juggernauts yet. So it's like they were afraid. They were afraid of the big characters. They had turned to these indie comics, which is really interesting that all three of us picked films based on indie comics. I can't believe that none of us picked like one of the Burton Batman films. Well, Batman... Superman. Or, or the Superman films. Yeah. I mean, those are great. Superman but, 2? Yeah. Oh, I picked oh, one of the man. Superman movies. Oh, man. What? Just uh, not oh, for this category. We're not which, there yet. Which is okay. our segue, <laughs> so perfectly done, Robert, into our worst of the superhero movies. We got a little bit more to pick from, I think, with worst of the superhero movies going pre-2000. Rob, since you already kind of gave us a little glimpse, I think I know where this is going. Why don't we start off with you? What's the worst superhero film pre-2000? Okay, this this pains me to say. I, I, I really, I'm not happy that I'm going to say this, yeah. but I'm going to say it because I have to say it. <laughs> Superman 4. Yep. The Quest, Quest for Peace. Now, this is kind of like... You're not down with Nuclear Man? Uh, I, you know, I feel, like, I feel like I'm a bully on the elementary school parking uh, on the elementary school playground, parking lot, playground after parking lot after school, but playground during recess. And I'm going to go beat up on the most obvious kid to beat up on, like the kid that deserves to not be beat up on because everyone knows. But I am such a douchebag that I'm going to go pick on that kid. But I'm going to pick on Superman Four. Superman Four, first of all, the first two Superman movies, one is one of the most iconic fantasy films ever made. Superman 2, its follow-up, was probably my favorite superhero movie for a very long time. It's so much fun. Superman 3, Richard Lester, who directed, who came in and took over after Richard Donner finished on Superman 2, made a comedic movie that's pretty god-awful. But there's something about Superman 3 that I kind of like. Superman 4 was made by Canon Films. It was bargain basement. It looks like it cost four cents. They couldn't get Margot Kidder back. You know, I mean, they did, but they paid her for like a day, you know, and and Sidney Fury, who had directed Iron Eagle, who used to be a good director, made this film. You have Lenny Luthor. You can't have Lex Luthor anymore. You've got to have his his 'er ne'er-do-well, ridiculous cousin, thanklessly played by John Cryer. And Christopher Reeve, who clearly didn't even bulk up before he took on the role. He looks too skinny. And the film, unfortunately, it has a good message. This idea that 
It was all about disarmament. It was a product of the Cold War. Uh, Superman is going to take away all the nuclear weapons in the world, which is actually pretty good. And Christopher Reeve himself came up with that storyline. But <laughs> but <laughs> to belabor this point, they create what is arguably the dumbest villain in the history of any comic book adaptation on the silver screen, Nuclear Man. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the idea of it is something I would have come up with when I was four in my bathtub, <laughs> you know, thinking that I was in a nuclear reactor. And what if I what if I was hit by particles and became Nuclear Man? It's just... You know, even Superman 3 has that great moment where Superman is split into two parts, you know, and one is the evil Superman. and Angry, drunk Superman. Angry, drunk Superman. And they have that battle in the junkyard because that's what Superman would do. (laughs) Unlike in Man of Steel where they can fight over a, they have one of the great superhero battles of all time over a metropolitan area. We have two Superman and they basically throw Manhole covers at one yeah. another. <laughs> I mean, I, I look, I understand that, but Superman four is the, the effects are terrible. Uh, and I hate, I know some of the people that worked on the effects of that movie. I apologize to you guys, but even, you know, the effects are terrible. They didn't have the money to do this movie, right? It was a cash grab and it was so disheartening to sit through because talk about the law of diminishing returns. It's kind of like the Planet of the Apes movies, which I love. By the time you get to the fifth one of the original Planet of the Apes movies, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, they made it for kids. It cost a fraction of what the first Planet of the Apes cost. And you just sit through it, even as a kid, and I'm just like, this is just garbage. What what the 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 way that Superman the movie becomes Superman for the quest for peace is one of the greatest falls from grace in the history of franchise filmmaking. And it just pains me to talk about, man, it's it's you can't argue or debate everything, anything you just said. I I mean, it's so my one thing, though, I'll say is this as you are so accurate about your depiction of Superman four. I thought Superman three was even worse. Really? But it Our, had a bigger okay. budget. But it had a bit. First of all, Richard Pryor, who's one of the great comedic names of all time, oh. but did not fit in that movie. I'm no. sorry. You had Superman fighting a supercomputer. And I still remember, even as a kid, watching this thing where there's this scene where they're finally confronting the computer that they had Richard Pryor make for them. Because apparently somebody could make something like that. <laughs> there's this scene where... The computer traps Superman by wrapping him in its own wires. (laughs) And even as a kid, I'm like, but those are just wires. This is Superman. And like Superman's like, oh, no, he's been wrapped up and mummified in these wires. What is Superman going? The man who could spin the world in its opposite axis. He could spin it completely backwards. He can't break some wires. What? And I still remember this whole notion of it being. And by the way, the split Superman thing was one of the worst things I have ever seen in a movie ever. It's like, how do you know Superman? This is the bad Superman. Well, look, his costume's dirty. That's how you know he's the bad guy. And he's drunk. And when he shows up trying to hit on Lana Lang and it says, this is awful. And you were pointing out one of the greatest superhero fights ever. Maybe, no, maybe the greatest superhero fight ever. Superman versus the various Kryptonians in Man of Steel. That's just awesome. That junkyard fight. I mean, oh my goodness. And all I can really remember from that too is this villain who's the big rich guy, of course. He's the big villain. And he goes, this, the, the conversation was about socks. He goes, you know, I've never worn the same pair of socks twice. What happens to them? Well, I don't know. They 
get given to charity or something. And that was the big evil thing. Now, I will say this. I think the movie Office Space, which we all love, owes its existence to Superman 3 because the whole big plot in Superman 3 was Richard Pryor figured out a way to take those fractions of pennies that are left over on certain transactions and accumulate them and he embezzles millions of dollars. And that's basically the whole premise of Office Space later on. So the one good thing that came out of Superman 3 was Office Space. So I'll give it that. And that's about it. But yeah, oh my God, Superman 4. Like, oh my, so, so bad. So, okay, let me go into what my worst uh, pre, you know, 2000 superhero movie. It's a movie (laughs) that we should have loved. It's a movie we should have been excited about. It's a movie that should have, you know, broken barriers and crossed lines and redefined genres. It was dark. It was based on, on a tragic character. It was based on somebody of immense power, and it was unbelievably awful. We're talking about Spawn. Oh, my God. (laughs) This movie is such a travesty of everything. And they had, you had great source material. You had a wonderful cast. You had Michael Jai White as Al Simmons. You had John Le- uh, Legogosmo, Legosamo, I always say name as Violator, which is great. You had Martin Sheen. People, so did you know that Martin Sheen was in a comic? Martin Sheen was in a comic book movie. Spawn. Oh my God, he was in a comic book movie. Martin Sheen was in the DB Sweeney, who I've always had a soft spot for. So you have this incredible source material. You're able to attract a really good cast, including somebody like a Martin Sheen. And you so phenomenally fail. Like everything about this movie, I would just remember just sitting there and watching this is why did they just do that? Oh. And why did they just do that? And why did they just do that? Now we're living in an era where McFarlane's trying to get a reboot done. He's got Jamie Foxx signed up and stuff like that. I don't even know if this thing's ever going to happen. He's never directed anything in his life, but he's going to direct it himself because that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, because just ask, look at the spirit. Obviously that works every time, right? So- this was just something that I walked out so phenomenally because at the time, man, the Spawn comic was huge. People forget how big Spawn was. And we were all so excited about things that this thing they were doing and it just fell flat on its face. I, it's just iconic. You can write songs about how bad this film is. So anyway, my pick for worst superhero movie pre 2000 is going to be Spawn. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I got to, I have to make an apology on this show because I used to do this show that was on the sci-fi channel called SF Vortex. And we had a round table called the war room at the end where we would discuss topics of the day. And I was on with Mark DePay, the director. Wow. And you can see this on my YouTube page, the Burnett work. I recently unearthed the tape. Of me oh on the gosh. show, me and me and Flash producer, now showrunner Eric Wallace are on, and we just tear this poor guy oh. apart. <laughs> and and I was so I feel bad. I'm I'm thinking about it, I'm cringing. I hated this movie so much when it came out. I am with you. You 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 absolutely nailed it, John. Everything about this movie, I'd watch this and go, what what? It was first time director Mark Az to pay who uh, or, or Mark Dz to pay, uh, Mark to pay. Uh, directed this film. He was an effects guy, but even the effects in this movie. So bad. Uh, it, it's just. Dude, this movie came out like two years before The Matrix. And I know that The Matrix is like on another level. Okay, like it was groundbreaking, but The Matrix didn't have m- much more of a budget. 
Like Spawn, I think had like a forty million dollar budget. The Matrix had maybe sixty. Yeah, but like it is, it's so bad. Like it's like they didn't have any money. Uh, yeah, it's it, it it shows you the most important lesson you can take away from making superhero movies is you have to understand your tone. What is the tone yeah. of this movie? Yes, and I'm yes. always talking about. Somebody called me the gatekeeper of verisimilitude once. This movie has no verisimilitude. There's nothing None. you can believe in this at all. It's like set in the real world, and then it's in this ridiculous. It's almost hellscape that. It's almost like it's set in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles world of New York City, and then all of a sudden it takes wants the tone is everywhere. It wants everywhere. to take itself seriously, and then and it's jokey, it and then you've got this villain who's this giant. He looks like the kid in Charlie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory who like blows up and turns blue, and but he's got like really messed up teeth. I'm like, what? And he's joking, and it's like, what is going on right now? Yeah. It's funny, Mark. Uh, how do you pronounce the name? Depay. He never directed another feature film again. I'm not, oh, it was man. it was the last thing he it's did. Brutal. He was, and you know, visual effects wise, like one of the things I'll give them, I'll give them this. They tried to do some very ambitious things. Yes, they did. Uh, but trying is not the same as succeeding. Like the sequences in hell, they you could see what they were going for. It just yep. didn't work. A lot of stuff they tried with the with the cape yeah. and and the, they were doing some really. Let me rephrase. Mm. They were going for some very cool things, and you yeah. know what? Full marks for the ambition. Yeah, right. But. Ambition doesn't put, well, to use one, ambition doesn't put a gold medal around your neck. Correct. You know, it's just because you want, you're going for it, but you failed. And then, you know, cheers to you for the attempt, but, but you failed at everything else in the movie too. And I'm going to jump in and go ahead and say that I also chose this as the worst movie. Oh, you, you went with Spawn as well. And I thought about, I was like, I I thought about, I was like, okay, I could probably do Superman three. But as I was listening to you talk about, I was like, no, this is definitely the worst because like, and and what the thing that is so irritating is that it's such, and I'd never read the comic books, but it's such a cool premise. This awesome military guy who gets betrayed by his boss is sent to hell after he's dead. And then is given, the chance to come back and he has to lead the army of the dead like everything about this excites me I know what about everything. that does not sound exactly awesome. what about that doesn't well, sound it's, like it's interesting because the crow in a way comes back from the dead right. to avenge the same way that al simmons you know is going to do that and it's just done so bad it's so bad yeah. it's so bad i i you know i killed for a long time and i get the the sentiment of like we've got to do spawn again because i get that because it the could be great it's just but why is McFarlane a guy who's never held a video camera is going to direct it? What? Well, no, here's the spawn animated show is quite good. Uh, I've heard that. It, it's the, it was really good. I mean, they nailed, it was really interesting because I can see that. Okay. They obviously people love the concept. And like you said, John, the spawn comic was huge at the time. Right. I was collecting McFarlane toys. The first McFarlane toys. Now they make all kinds of toys, but their first toys were spawn toys and they were really good. It lends itself to being a super cool toy. Cause he's a crazy cool. That's one great thing about the movie is spawn actually looked really cool. Looked really yeah. cool. Looked good. And, and, his, and his enemies looked yes. cool. Yes. Like violator was like one of the craziest, coolest villains. Yeah. And the clown and all that stuff. It was, it was good stuff. So I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And there's definitely a silver lining about this horrible garbage fire of a movie. And that is, it's on Netflix right now. And for those people who don't appreciate the time we're living in with these amazing comic book movies coming out every single month, go on Netflix and just watch the first 10 minutes of this movie. 
it's yeah. basically unwatchable. You know, the, the, I think it's like a corn song, this hardcore rock and roll and this, the opening sequence, you're like, what is going on? I mean, you watch the first 10 minutes of that and you just, you're like, man, we got it good. We've got it good right now. Like it's just it's a good time. So yeah, it's it's just it's definitively well, the worst. What's funny is is that all of these things that we've talked about, they speak to the the fact that they weren't taken as seriously as they right. are now. I mean, yeah. there is a reverence. The MCU works because they love these characters. The people understand that these characters are iconic. I mean, Captain America is played by Chris Evans. Who doesn't love that character? One of the great iconic yeah. movie characters of all time. And then you start talking about, well, so is Tony Stark. And so is so is Chris Hemsworth's Thor. And, oh, wait, so is Scarlett Johansson. I mean, every the, the way they've paired the actors and the way they now take this material seriously. They don't think, well, oh, we're just making a comic book adaptation. So we don't have to make it great. Well, this was, I mean, that movie just came from a time when they really, I mean, they had some wins, right? Like we said, they had, we had the yeah, Superman movies, we had the Batman, we had some wins, but I'd say for the most part, they they just didn't, didn't really know what to do. And this movie showed like they did not know what to do. Well, yeah. you know, we didn't mention another movie like The Rocketeer based yes. on Dave Stevens. Great. Right? That yep. was going to be one of Which my has big a, picks. really beloved by a lot of people. It's a one. good movie. People forget that was a comic book, but that was an independent comic book, just like what we'd picked. Right. And then Blade, which is another movie I thought was pretty groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first Blade was Marvel comic character, but a lesser character. It's like they were afraid to go right. to the we can't do the higher tier characters. We're going to make a Blade movie because nobody knows who Blade is anyway. And it was strange that now characters have become these big iconic characters now all front and center. But back in the day, even Spawn, again, an independent comic book. It was one of the first he was a McFarlane was a founder of Image Comics when all those creators jumped ship from Marvel. They were the most successful. That comic was selling three million copies a month. That's insane. That was yeah. Huge. Yeah. It was, it was completely disruptive to the whole comic industry at the time. It was revolutionary. Absolutely. It, it just, and it changed the, the landscape of comic books at the time. And you also, now you had artists and writers who had viable alternatives and a lot of it had to do with spawn yep. and it was just a, a revolutionary thing. Okay. So our best pre 2000 superhero movies, I'm going with mystery man. Cody is going with teenage mutant Ninja turtles to the secret of the ooze. And Robert is going with the crow. Uh, some good ones in there. We were talking about not a lot to pick from before there, but there are some really good ones. And then for the worst, both Cody and I are going with spawn. Rob, you're going with Superman four and I'm kicking in an honorable mention for Superman three as well <laughs> uh, for that. So let me give you a recommendation guys of one that uh, doesn't get a lot of talk, doesn't get a lot of love. And actually, even when it came out, wasn't all that liked. But I loved this movie from day one. And I still recommend checking it out. It's a little film from 1994. And it has uh, Gandalf in it. It has the boss from 30 Rock. I'm talking about The Shadow. I really enjoyed The Shadow. I, I So you're talking about, like, obviously, uh, E. McKellen, Penelope Ann Miller in there. Peter Boyle was, I thought he was really funny. He was kind of that that he was the embodiment of the stereotype of the sidekick character in there as, as the driver and all that kind of stuff. But Alec Baldwin got this. And speaking of visual effects, they did something in this movie that if we watch it now, we will laugh ourselves sick. But at the time, it was something we had never seen before. Do you remember the dagger in, in that movie, like yeah. the living dagger, there was this, yeah. there was this dagger, this mystical dagger, and it had a face that came to life and whatever. Oh. This is 1994. 
And again, if we watch this today, we're going to laugh ourselves stupid. But at the time, it was something we had never really seen. And again, it's this guy who kind of takes on this power. And then he ends, ends up, you know, his the arch nemesis in the movie is the ancestor of Genghis Khan, which is Shiwan Khan. And so he's fighting this, what the ancestor of Genghis Khan and all this kind of stuff. It's really, really fun. I had a really good time with The Shadow. It's, it's one that not a lot of people today will want to catch up with, but I recommend checking it out and see I, what you think. I want to thank you for bringing that up because that's I love that movie. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy, who directed Highlander. Yeah. You know, and I think you're right. It doesn't get a lot of love, man. It does not get a lot of love. Then- All right, guys. That will do it for this installment of Best Movie, Worst Movie. What do you guys think about that? What are some of your favorite and most hated of the pre-2000 superhero movies? God, you're right, though. The silver lining, Cody, is that it really does make us appreciate- It's a beautiful time. What we have now. It, it is insane. All right, jump on down there. So, Cody, listen, thanks for being here, man. Where can people find you online and all the things you're doing? You guys can find me online on Twitter, at SwimMiller with one M, on Instagram, just at Cody Miller, and check out my YouTube channel, Cody Miller Adventures. And Rob, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at RM Burnett or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and its website, thebrunettwork.net. And you guys, of course, can follow me on social media, on Instagram, just at John Campia. And every day, Monday through Friday on my show, The John Campia Show, talking about movies and movie news. You can find me there every day. Just go to youtube.com slash John Campia. That'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks for being here. And until next time, bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.